What today's readings have in common is the sense that we humans are perplexed or at least unclear about what is going on or what we should be doing. And God responds in some way to us, giving us advice or at least letting us know that somebody is listening to our fears and confusion. The prophet Habakkuk begs God to send him some guidance. I'm crying for help, he says, and you don't listen. His cry for help in fact sounds a lot like our current political scene. Strife and contention arise, so the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. All this sounds chillingly contemporary. But Habakkuk's God answers him in the next chapter in a parallel pronouncement. The prophet is told to keep on the lookout, a solution is coming. One must just be alert and patient. Habakkuk promises to stand on watch so that he won't miss God's saving information. Look at the proud, the voice tells him. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. The point of, of the rather brief writings of Habakkuk serve to show us how one who trusts in God can continue to see that God sends hope and salvation to those who trust and who have faith and who are alert to the possibilities. We view that same stalwart faith in the psalmist's voice today. Trouble and anguish have come upon me, but your commandments are my delight. Your decrees are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Both the prophet and the psalmist struggle to hold faith within a context of despair and trouble. So it's with a certain amount of relief that we come to Paul's letter to the church in Thessaloniki. The Christians in that church have taken the message of Jesus to heart. They've established a place of belief and safety. All that the psalmist and the prophet were seeking has been answered in the message of Christ. This is, of course, a great oversimplification of what our faith teaches, but at least for one Sunday's readings, the straight line movement from cause to effect is noticeable. From the Old Testament despair to New Testament salvation. I think we're so used to hearing Paul rail and scold that we're sometimes not ready for his outbreak of joy and praise for one of his churches. Father Brewer has often reminded us that what we know of Paul's ministry is severely limited by the fact that we have only a few of his letters to the churches he has established, but we don't have the whole correspondence. We don't know what the churches wrote to him, what they asked about what organizational or theological queries. We don't know what problems they were experiencing. All we know is the advice that Paul was giving them about behavior and strategies and belief in relation to actions. So we seem to have more written evidence for the churches where things weren't going so well, like Corinth, what David Brewer likes to call a model of a dysfunctional church. We learn in today's letter to the Thessalonians that their ministry is flourishing. Your faith is growing abundantly, Paul writes, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast of you among the churches.
steadfastness and faith during all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. And we're not privy to just what those hardships are. We only read that Paul is aware of how successfully the Thessalonians have learned the lessons of Jesus and are putting them into practice. The message is relatively simple. Love God and love your neighbor. The psalmist hopes for that enlightenment. Habakkuk waits for it. The members of the church in Thessaloniki are judged by Paul to have attained it. So, we're probably on the lookout for the same general theme when we come to today's gospel reading, but there's a significant shift here. The basic arc of the story is perhaps relatively parallel, but the motives and impact are rather different. This little narrative is personal. It's unusual for us to be given the name of an individual who has an encounter with Jesus. We don't know the name of the young the rich young man who was advised to sell all he owned and give the money to the poor. We don't know the name of the man whose child Jesus revived from what was presumed to be her deathbed. We don't even know the name of Peter's mother-in-law, whom Jesus cured, just in time, remember, for her to serve the men. But Zacchaeus is named. And by naming him, Luke gives him a special significance. I believe that that significance is crucial because <coughs> we are in some ways all Zacchaeus. He isn't somebody who rushes after Jesus to hear the message. Like the listeners at the Sermon on the Mount or those who trail after Jesus when he tries to escape the crowd and get away to pray, Zacchaeus is not a seeker, nor a challenger, nor a stalker. He's just curious. He's like many of us. We are rather curious about this man. What is all the fuss? Does he look like a prophet? Like a healer? Is he tall or short or fair or dark? Does he dress well? He's a celebrity. So Zacchaeus wants a look. He's too short to see over the crowd. I sympathize with him. <laughs> that is scattered. But since he's not interested in speaking to this celebrity, nor trying to touch him, nor wishing to learn anything from him, he just climbs up in a tree so he can get a glimpse of him as he and his attendant friends walk down the road. But climbing a tree is a bit dangerous, a bit undignified. Like so many of us, Zacchaeus goes to some trouble to see what the prophet looks like. But he fully expects it to, that to be the extent of his experience. He see, it seems obvious that he expects to climb down after the entourage has passed and to go home to what must be a very nice house since he's a tax collector. And we reminded last week that the tax collectors were not held in high esteem, but were apt to be rich. Zacchaeus must have been a rather funny sight a well-dressed rich man up in a tree because he was curious. But of course, he didn't expect to be noticed. Aren't we sometimes like that? We are curious about Jesus' salvation promises, but we would never expect that he would call us out of our vantage point up above the rowdy crowd. Suddenly, the elusive perch is the target of all eyes. The procession stops. Jesus calls to the man in the tree. 
a man whom nobody respects or wants to associate with, a short tax collector. All the eyes see, all the ears hear. Come down, Zacchaeus, Jesus called out. I'm coming to your house to stay tonight. And the little tax collector gets out of the tree in a hurry. The crowd grumbles that Jesus is consorting with sinners again. And the crowd that had come with excitement, not just curiosity, are confused and perhaps angry with Jesus for honoring this tax collector with his visit. Jesus hears the crowd and understands why they grumble, but reminds them that it is the sinners, the reluctant tax collectors, the ones who aren't sure enough to crowd in the front row, that he has come to save. And Zacchaeus is immediately converted. He declares that he will give away much of his personal wealth to the poor. He welcomes Jesus. He's no longer curious, but converted. How many of us have come to our faith rather like Zacchaeus? We are aware of our own shortcomings and perhaps a little worried about the rightness of our lives, but we're not always willing to line up and cheer for possible relief and clarity. But we are curious. We would like to stay in the background and not be noticed. We might climb up a tree to satisfy our curiosity. We certainly don't want to stand in the front row. Think of yourself in this story. Where are you? Are you one of the disciples who's accompanying Jesus along the street? Are you one of the eager crowd lining the way? Are you Zacchaeus, who was merely curious, then called, then converted? People come into the church just to see what it's like, and sit down in the back pew and observe the congregation singing and praying. They do not expect to hear a voice call their name, to have attention focused on them, to hear Jesus say, I'm coming to stay with you. But we are called to open our hearts and home to our Savior. Just when we think we are in control of the situation, safely above the crowd in the sycamore tree, we find out that we are not. If we hurry from our hiding place, we are not only forgiven, but blessed by Jesus' presence with us. The prophet Habakkuk said he would climb up a watchtower so he wouldn't miss God's answer to his plea. For Zacchaeus, that watchtower is a sycamore tree. God's answer is Jesus. Jesus. 